Well, good morning again. My name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here at Bible Center. It's great having you with us with Christmas approaching. Uh, some of you look familiar. I saw you out yesterday on the streets of Charleston as we celebrated our uh, Christmas parade. We had the float. We had a number of people from Bible Center School walking with the float. If you helped at all with the float or passing out hot chocolate, if that was you, would you raise your hand? If you helped in some way build it, plan it, spread it, Oh, awesome. If you, if you have your hand raised, would you stand up so we can recognize you? That was a trick. Let's, let's thank them. Awesome. Thanks, Cheryl. Yesterday we went through 3,000 coffee cups and 40 gallons of hot chocolate in less than a half an hour. And so next year we realized that we probably need to quadruple that and maybe then begin to scratch the surface. But it was a lot of fun seeing so many of you out there. And it's just a way for us to bless the city, to say we love you, Charleston, and we want to serve you in many, many ways. This morning we're starting our Christmas service, a series, as Pastor John mentioned. We're going through the four songs of Christmas. Actually, they're the first four Christmas carols ever written, and they're all found in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to be walking through them week by week through the month of December, and I'm excited for that. Some of you, I can tell, are ready for Christmas. You are pumped. It's all over your faces. You were the ones yesterday out there on the street with the reindeer antlers jumping up and down. You love Christmas songs. You are excited to get up today and be in here. AEP sends you a Christmas card every year saying how thankful they are for your Christmas lights and the money that they get from it. And so if that's you, we want you to feel welcome here. Help us celebrate uh, those of us that aren't natural partiers, uh, help us celebrate and make a big deal out of this season. But we also recognize that there are some of you here today, and you're not really excited at all. And you're, this has been a hard year for you. This is a hard season, and you almost didn't come this morning. And I just want to let you know that you're welcome here too. We, we want to acknowledge that, we get that, and we're glad you're here. Our prayer is also for you this season, that we can minister to you in a very special way, love you well, and help you sense the presence of Christ this Christmas right alongside the person who is celebrating. We're glad you're here as well. There are many of us who stake our lives on this story. Uh, we stake our ethics, our values, everything we have is centered around the story of Christmas. And so we want you to feel welcome, but we also recognize there are some of you today who, who may not yet trust the Christmas story. You haven't yet wrapped your mind around it, and you're seeking truth. You're seeking the Lord's uh, uh, truth for your life, and you're wondering what you can believe, what you can't believe, and we hope this season will be especially welcoming to you. There's space here. There's room here. If you have questions, we'd love to try to provide answers, but most importantly, uh, we'd like to get to know you. And we're glad you're a part of what's happening at Bible Center. One last thing, if you have questions or want to connect, every Sunday we do what's called BC in 5, Bible Center in 5. Over here on my left by the windows, one of our staff members leads Bible Center in 5. Any question you have, even if they can't answer it in the moment, they can find an answer and help you connect in some way at the church. I would like to ask you to turn your Bible or your Bible app to Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read just yet, but while you're turning there, I want to tell you a story about a 13-year-old girl or maybe a 16-year-old girl who found out she was pregnant. Most of us know and have heard the story of Mary, but as we think about Mary, we don't know exactly how old she was. Some believe 13. It was common for girls at that time of the world 
to be betrothed, to be engaged at age 12. And by 16, most of them were married. People's lifespan was much shorter, and so they got started with families much earlier. But picture, if you will, she's engaged to this probably older man named Joseph. We don't know how old he was, maybe in his upper 20s, maybe in his 30s. And she discovers that she is pregnant. An angel appears to her out of nowhere. And at first she's startled. She's scared. First rule about Bible stories is this. Nobody knows they're in a Bible story. When you read the Bible, nobody knows it's Bible times. And so Mary is startled by this angel. She's not expecting it. The angel comes out of nowhere and says, you are highly favored among women. You are most blessed And then the angel tells her, you are going to conceive and bear a son. And it's not just any son, it's the promised son, the Messiah. And he is going to inherit the throne of his father, David. And his kingdom is going to be eternal. It will have no end. You can picture the things that are going through her mind when she hears it. And she says, well, how can this be since I've not yet known a man in that way And he reminds her of the Old Testament promise from Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Mary, you are that virgin. You are that blessed woman. And then the angel disappears. Picture the worries that were going through her mind. Not only to be a young woman who is about to be pregnant, but all the pressures associated with that. She has to go and tell Joseph. I mean, think about how that conversation went. The scriptures gives us a a little glimpse of it, but just picture as she goes and tells Joseph, Joseph, I'm going to have a baby, and you and I both know it's not ours, but don't worry. Don't worry, because it's God's baby, right? That has never worked in the history of the world before and will never work in the world to come. But one time in human history, it was the truth. And eventually the angel confirmed it. Her parents, think of the shame that her parents would have endured. Think of the shame that Joseph would have, that Mary, even Jesus in the gospels, we find that throughout his life, when somebody really hated Jesus, they would call him, they would call him the the, the son of the unmarried woman. They've used terms to uh, berate him and accuse him. People still look down on Mary. Think of the pressures of providing for the baby. What if Joseph didn't stay with her? What if she had to provide for herself? It was common in that day for, for women to die in childbirth, for infants to die. Medical care wasn't what it is today. What was going through her head? We can't say for sure that Mary didn't worry. We never want to make Bible characters out to be perfect. There's only one perfect character, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the scriptures never tell us that Mary worried. It never says that that she worried once the angel had given her the promise. And so you can picture as she's tempted to worry, she thinks, I'm not married, but yet God picked me. I, I don't have any money, but God picked me. The people are going to make fun of me, and my reputation is going to be ruined. But God picked me. Imagine, if you will, as she goes to her Aunt Elizabeth, 
Her aunt lives several days away, and as she journeys, she's probably writing down her thoughts. It seems that Mary may have been some sort of musician, at least a poet, and she's pulling in all of her favorite Bible verses from the Old Testament, and finally she arrives to Elizabeth's house, John the Baptist's mother, and she shares with her this song that she had written along the way. And it's that song that's our text today from Luke chapter 1. I want to invite us, would you stand with me? I'd like to read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And let's hear Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servants Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In this passage, we find Mary worshiping instead of worrying. We find Mary erasing any temptation to worry with her worship. And that leads us today to our main point from this passage. The main encouragement of this story is simply this. This Christmas, let worship erase your worry. This Christmas, let worship erase your worry. Typically in messages that I preach, I like to answer the how. I want to give practical pointers so that way it's not just a great eternal truth with no application. So Sunday after Sunday, I want to give you practical pointers on how to live this out. Uh, This sermon is not a how sermon. It's not really a practical, uh, here's 10 ways to live it out. But I did want to give you a few practical suggestions before we jump into the why. You may be wondering, how can I live this out? How can I worship the Lord this season? Well, the word worship means worth-ship, to give worth to God. It's from an old English word, to ascribe worth to God by the way I live. To give worth to God by the way I live. It isn't just something we do in church, right? Paul says, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Work can be worship. Family can be worship. Hanging Christmas lights, if you're really, really spiritual, can be worship. Eating and drinking, being with friends, all of that is is worship to the Lord. If done for His glory and done in the right way, worship, worship to the Lord. Here at Bible Center, we have several practical ways that we can worship together as a church family. One of them starts tonight, and that's the night of worship. 
If you don't have plans tonight, if you do have plans and they can be rearranged, I'd love to invite you back right here in the auditorium. I, got to, I was able to hear the band practice a number of times this week. Beautiful. You're going to love it. Really set your heart focused on the Lord. Maybe you have friends and family you could invite to dinner beforehand, or you can go out for ice cream afterwards. It's going to be a great evening. We'd love to have you here. And then in two weeks, we have our uh, Bible Center Worship Choir and Orchestra, who will also be doing a night of worship. On December 20th, we have the Fireside Gathering. How many of you have been to one of our Fireside Gatherings before? We've been to a lot of you have been there. We pack them in. If you want to come early and get your seat, when we run out of seats on the bottom, we put seats up on the stairs and up on the, maybe not the stairs, but up on top, the third floor. It's a lot of fun singing Christmas carols in that space. We'll have some musicians play. It's a great opportunity for us to worship the Lord together there. And then we have our Christmas Eve services. This, this year, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, so we'll have three services. You note the times there, our candlelight services. We'd love to have you worship with us then. But this year, there's another opportunity. It's the first time we've done this since I've been at Bible Center, maybe for a number of years here. There's booklets available for free out in the gathering space. We all love things that are free this time of year. And so if you like a hard copy, there's hundreds of hard copies out there of the Advent booklets, Preparing Our Hearts for Christmas. It's filled with a way for you to have personal devotions throughout the month of December, all centering on the first and second coming of Christ around the Christmas season. It's also available on the app. I actually prefer it on the app. I pulled it up yesterday, and all the chapters are already divided for you. But each chapter has a family section, and it shows you ways that you can even make a worship experience out of looking at Christmas lights with your kids or your grandkids. So you could go down to the St. Albans Festival of Lights and have a worship experience. Uh, Lord willing, this book will be a blessing to you. Our staff has worked hard to put it together. So there's a number of ways to answer the how we can worship together as a church family, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Today I want to talk about the why. I believe many of you came in this morning and the question on your mind is not how, but why. Maybe you're going through a really hard season and you're not looking forward to Christmas at all. And you almost didn't come this morning, but you decided to come anyway, and you're like, Lord, do you have a word for me? I'm praying that this message is a word for you. Last year, some of you had people sitting in your row or beside you in your seat, and they're not with you this year. There's been a funeral this past year, and you're not looking forward to the holidays. And you came today wondering, why should I worship some of you had people sitting beside you last year, and they're not sitting with you this year because there's been a separation. Maybe there's been a divorce, and you're wondering, Pastor Matt, please tell me why everybody's fired up, everybody's crazy, everybody's excited about Christmas, you guys have more lights here than St. Albans. Why, why should I worship? I want, I'm praying for you, and I want to answer that question for you today. Maybe you lost your job this year. Or, or maybe you, you didn't get that promotion or that job that you thought you were going to get. Maybe you're struggling with your kids. You've got grown adult children, and, and one of them just is away from the Lord and away from all that you taught them as a child, and you come in and you're burdened for them. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner thinking about them, and you're wondering, why should I worship this year? Some of you have been hurt deeply. 
You've been hurt deeply by family. You've been hurt deeply by the church. You've been hurt deeply by a, a grandma or a grandpa. You've been hurt deeply by a father or, or a coworker. This past, and you're wondering, why should I worship? Please tell me. Some of you are struggling financially. Last year, you, you thought, well, we'll go out on a little bit of credit to get our presents, but we'll have it paid off by March. But now it's December and hardly a penny has been paid off. And your margin is gone, and you're wondering, why should I worship the Lord this season? Maybe there was a diagnosis this year. And you're thinking, I may not be here next Christmas, or my loved one may not be here next Christmas, or there's family conflict, or maybe there's an addiction, or, or, or maybe you, you hate the way you look and you can't look yourself in the mirror because you, you feel that you're so ugly and you think, why should I worship the Lord? Why would God want my worship? Your marriage is hurting. Your friendships are hurting. You're overcome by the pain of the world or you're depressed. And you say, Pastor Matt, I've heard it before. I know what God wants me to do. He wants me to sing. He wants me to live my life seven days a week for his glory. I know I'm supposed to worship, but why? Thankfully, Mary, a young teenage girl in a backwater hick town of Galilee, answers the question for us. She knew pain. She knew burdens. She knew ridicule. She knew hurt, and she answers the question about why she worshiped. There's four reasons we're going to look at today. The first one is in verse 48. It's simply this, why should I worship? And she tells us, because God sees me. Because God sees me. In verse 48, she writes, He, God, has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Why should I worship? Because God sees me. She was a carpenter's fiance. It was a lowly job. She was kind of the, the lowest of the lower class, and yet she writes, God sees me. She was poor. Her and Joseph had the poor offering, two pigeons that they brought to Jesus' baby dedication, and yet she writes, God sees me. She's like Hannah of the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 1. You could tell that Hannah was one of her heroes. Her song mimics so much of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 1 and 2. And yet she writes, God sees me. She knows she's not a queen or a princess, but yet she writes, God sees me. There's something within all of us that not only want to see, but we want to be seen. And we're deeply hurt when we feel that someone has ignored us or that someone doesn't care about us or that someone we love doesn't see us. And Mary dispels that rumor that somehow God doesn't see you. She says, God sees me. You know, we're learning about how all of God's creation loves to be seen. We're learning this lesson through the story of our little dog we got this, this past week. We now have a puppy in the house. This is the newest member of the friend home. His name is Queso. Uh, he is a, uh, a uh, uh, really, he's like a teddy bear that poops, if you're wondering what he's like. <laughs> That's what he is. 
Uh, He's cute as can be. We love him. But we're learning that even animals, the way God's made them, they want to be recognized. They want to be seen. If you're in a room for more than like 15 seconds and you haven't petted him or thrown a toy, he lets you know he's there. And and he wants to be seen. The other day he got aggravated, I think, that nobody was paying him attention. So he went over to the counter and there was a cord hanging down, which was our mistake. And he grabbed all the cord and pulled the cord down. Thankfully, it was just like a, uh, a curling iron. It wasn't on. But it hit him on top of the head, and he yelped. And then, uh, needless to say, for the last week, he, he hasn't touched cords. He thinks every time he touches a cord, something's going to fall from heaven. And so he just looks at the cord and growls. But, but Queso loves to be seen. And while that's a puppy dog, we're not any different. When we're going through trials, what we want to know is, does anybody care? Does anybody know my name? Does anybody know I'm a hurting? And is there a God out there who even cares? And the message this morning of Christmas is definitely yes. We want to do a better job as a church, and we want to care more deeply and better, and we're structuring our groups and our leaders around that. But there is no human being in the world who can see you and care for you like God cares for you because he sees you right where you are. Mary knew that, and that's why she worshiped. Why else should we worship the Lord this time of year? Number two, because God strengthens me. Mary writes in verse 48, From behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. If you underline, you might underline the word mighty. And then he says, she says, And holy is his name. In verse 51, she writes, He has shown strength with his arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty, there it is again, mighty, from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God strengthens me. She reminds us of God's strength in the word mighty. She uses an Old Testament term. In the Old Testament, mighty God referred to the great warrior God. When they were talking about Yahweh, we say Jehovah, the great God of heaven. They would say he is a God who fights for us. And if you're Israel and you're going into a strange land, you want a God who fights for you when you're going up against uh, citadels like Jericho and others. You want a God who fights. And so she said, God is mighty. He's the warrior God who fights for me. And she combines that thought with the the last part of of verse 51, or excuse me, verse 49, and says, holy is his name. If you're taking notes, you can write exalted is his name. Lofty is his name. Sometimes when the word holy is used in the Bible, it refers to uh, moral purity, a sense of sinlessness. But the word itself means separate from or separated from. In this context, while it's certainly true that she knew about the purity of God, that's not what she's talking about. She's saying that God is so high and he is so lofty and he is, he is the warrior God who is so much bigger than her. She's little old Mary, a teenage girl in a backwater hick podunk town, but yet God is great. But notice what she does in verse 51. This just stuck out to me this week. She's painted this picture of this great, lofty, glorious God, 
But in verse 51, this God has reached down with his arm. doesn't mean that God the Father has arms. It's an expression. He has reached down to little old her and shown her great strength. God has done great things for me. And that's the importance of this. We want to be a church that exalts the glory of God so high that we preach and teach and point people to the grandeur of this, this great God. It's not so that we can just go, wow, God's really far off. The reason we want to do that is because of verse 51. The greater we see God, the more amazed we'll be that he reached down to us. That's what touched Mary's life. He strengthened me. He knows I'm pregnant. He knows I'm a teenager. He knows I'm poor. He knows I'm going to be ridiculed. He knows that people are going to look down their long religious noses at me. I'm scared to death. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know God is with me. We as human beings, we love being around people of power. If you've ever met the president, any president, if you've met maybe a, a sports superstar, a hero, a movie star, just being around people of power, it does something to us. I think that's the way God's made us. Maybe you've met some important people. Maybe you are an important people. We're glad you're here. But this past, uh, I wasn't trying to make a joke, but I'll take one everywhere I can get. Uh, this past week, or a couple weeks ago, it was hunting week, hunting season, and I went up to, I was going up to Clay County, my grandpa's farm, well, my dad's farm now, and I was going to do some, going to just hang out with him on Monday evening and uh, provide some food. I told dad, I don't think I'm going to hunt this year, but I'd love to do dinner. And so I was going to bring some really healthy food. I was going to stop at the Elkview Geno's and get some pizza. Um, while I was waiting on the pizza, it was going to be about 30, 40 minutes. I stopped by the Kroger in Elkview and got like some healthy chips and dip and salsa and sausage and all the healthy stuff that you eat whenever you're uh, at, at a hunting camp. So I'm in Kroger at Elkview, walking to the back of the store, going to go to the restroom before I shop, and out of the restroom walks Senator Joe Manchin, which was kind of cool. He was in his hunting clothes, and whether you like him, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it's just still cool to like see a U.S. senator coming out of the bathroom in Kroger. You're just not something you're expecting, <laughs> right? And, and so I'm walking past him. Now remember, I've only lived here back here now a little less than two years, but I remember Joe Manchin as governor because we left in about 2010, right about the time he was transitioning out of, of being governor. So I still see him as the governor. And so I walk by and I say the most intelligent thing, you know, a, a college-educated, intelligent man. I'm walking by and I just say, hello, governor. And he's not the governor anymore. I don't know why I said that. Maybe I'm thinking of that expression like, hello, governor, that, whatever that expression is. And I go to the bathroom, and I walk in the bathroom like, was that just Joe Manchin? And this dude was washing his hands. Looks like one of the department heads, maybe the, the meat counter at Kroger, and washing his hands. And I said, did, did you just see what I saw? And he goes, yeah, that was Joe Manchin. And so I thought about, when I came back out of the bathroom, I thought, I want to find him again and be that annoying guy. Then I changed my mind and said, no, he was already swarmed with people. I thought, maybe I could invite him to Bible Center for our 75th anniversary. And I thought, no, I don't want him to associate governor with me. I'll send him a letter and ask him later. But finding people who have great power and authority, doing common things that you enjoy, whether you like them or not, it's somewhat encouraging. Like, wow, here's a U.S. senator, and he's hunting, and he shops at Kroger. The greater the power, the more amazed we are when they're doing what we do. 
The greater the authority, the more impressed we are when they stoop to our level. And that's why Mary said this great and awesome God, he knows my name and he's come to strengthen me, little old me. And this morning, you can take courage in whatever suffering you're going through because God sees you and God wants to strengthen you. He cares when you think nobody else does. God sees me. God strengthens me. Number three, God saves me. Mary uses one word here, but it's, it's just, it blows me away. Verse 47, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. I worship the Lord. I glorify the Lord. I make much of the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That word really stuck out to me this week. My Savior. If you grew up in a Catholic church, this word, uh, Savior, uh, is encouraging to you. It's challenging to you. Those of us that grew up in a more Protestant setting, the rest of the song is more challenging and encouraging to us. Uh, we, those of us who grew up in a Protestant setting, can learn that, that Mary is to be honored. Mary is to be respected. The angel said she was most honored and revered among women. Uh, this coming Mother's Day, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on Mother Mary and her role in the early church. If, a little hint, if you go to Acts 1.14, you'll find that, that Mary played a role in the early church. Uh, she's, oh, it's her last time she's mentioned by name. She's probably mentioned two other times in the Bible, but not by name. But here in verse 47, we find that, that if, if you grew up hearing that Mary could give you grace, or that somehow Mary was a co-redeemer, or could, you could, could intercede for you like Jesus could intercede for you, verse, verse 47 is helpful. It says, my spirit rejoices in, in God my Savior. Mary needed a savior. Mary was not perfect. The scriptures teach us uh, that Mary was human like you and I are human. It doesn't tell us what her sins were. Uh, we know that she went on to have other children. Uh, the children are listed throughout the gospels. So Jesus was virgin born. The rest of her children, Jesus's brothers and sisters were not. Uh, but, but Mary needed a savior. And she reminds us of that here in this passage Mary was the first Christian person changed by the Christmas story. She was blown away by the story that God became human to save humanity. The story that God sent his son on a rescue mission to seek and to save that which was lost. The story that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The story that the baby in the manger became the king on the cross. Think about how this story still interrupts our world. I mean, even in 2017, this story of a God who would become human and die for us, this story causes traffic jams in 2017. It's going to cause traffic jams in the world's biggest city, Rio and Tokyo, and right here in Charleston, West Virginia. South Ridge Center is going to get in traffic jams because of this Savior. Now, there's a whole lot of other reasons South Ridge gets in traffic jams throughout the year, but this is one reason. 
Our calendars are impacted by this story. Today, whenever you get at your phone and you search, what's on my calendar for today? A.D., B.C., your, your date, your birth date, your to-do events, your tasks are dated by this Savior. And Mary said in verse 50 that this mercy was extended throughout generations. From generation to generation, this Savior is for all people. Think about Mary's lineage, her family. Mary was related to Abraham. She was related to David. She was related to Isaac and Jacob. She was related to Sarah. The Gospels tell us that Mary was also related to Rahab, the harlot, who turned to God, we see in Joshua chapters 2 and 3. And later in Joshua 5, Rahab the harlot lived with the people of God. Mary was related to her. And so when Mary talked about family dysfunction, she knew something about that. And she's thinking God's mercy is to the most broken people, and the most broken people are in my family. This year you're going to get together for Christmas like you did for Thanksgiving with some broken people. Every family has a really jacked up person in it. Every family does. So this Christmas, if you're sitting at the table and everybody around you, you're like, no, my family's perfect. Everybody around me is perfect. You're the jacked up person, okay? Just go ahead and know that. <laughs> but when we sit with our family, it's apparent, right? Like, wow, there's a, all of our families have it. We're all dysfunctional in some way. There's brokenness because we're, our families are made up of sinners. So there's two ways to approach Christmas. You can approach Christmas with this sense of righteous indignation and justice that Aunt so-and-so said something to you 20 years ago that she shouldn't have said, and Grandpa so-and-so, and, and cousin this, and sister that. And you can sit at that table and stew about all the people who don't deserve to be in your family. It's a miserable way to live Christmas. But it's, you can also approach Christmas and say, God's mercy extends to all generations, and my family needs his mercy the most. And it's a great way to turn worry into worship when you realize that God's grace is only for broken people, and we need a lot of his grace. God sees me. God strengthens me. God saves me. And then finally, why can we worship? Because God satisfies me. God satisfies me. I love what she wrote here. I believe it's in verse 37 or verse 53. In verse 53, she writes, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Why can we worship? Because God satisfies me. When we read the word rich here, it's important for us to know that all of us would have been rich in Mary's day. Today, if you have money to buy lunch, if you have money to have a roof over your head tonight, you would be considered rich in Mary's day. So all of us, to some degree or another, would be rich to Mary. But Mary and her people were despised by the Romans because of their low social class. The Romans considered her people poorly educated. They didn't have good pedigree. They had bad social connections. They worked dirty jobs. They had very few rights. But when the angel appeared to Mary, her world was turned upside down. Here she is in this Roman world of tyranny, and she sees it perhaps for, for the first time, or she declares it for the first time, that, that, that God isn't showing favor on people because of their status in government. 
God doesn't show his grace to people because of their popularity or because of how much money we have in our pockets or, or because of how good we're doing at life, but that God only shows his grace to people who are hungry and thirsty for it. She would have pulled baby Jesus later on up on, his, up on her lap, young toddler Jesus, and maybe she taught Jesus things like, blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. We find King Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 declaring in the Beatitudes those same words, very similar to what Mary had given, that God fills the hungry. In other words, God only satisfies those who know they can't satisfy themselves. This Christmas, maybe you're looking at all that you can't provide for your family. Or maybe you're looking at all that you, you have all the money in the world, but maybe you didn't provide time for your kids when they were young. Or you're thinking about some other way that you fell short. There's two ways to look at that sense of that gnawing pain. You can look at that gnawing pain and say, man, I'm a failure. I'm just going to be depressed the rest of my life because of mistakes I made in the past. That's one way to look at it. But the problem is if we look at it that way, all of us are going to die in misery and pain because our lives can never satisfy us. Talk to anybody who's lived any kind of life and they'll tell you you're always going to make mistakes. You're always going to wish you had do-overs. You're never going to be able to satisfy yourself. But if we live life like Mary, what we can say is this. I know that I am not a perfect person. I know that I have not done everything right in my life. I've made every choice right. I know that I can't provide enough toys for my grandkids. I can't provide enough goods for much. I can't do enough right things to satisfy myself or anybody. But there's one person who can and that's Jesus Christ. And so this Christmas, I'm going to live for Jesus who can satisfy and stop living under this pressure of what the world says satisfies. That's a whole paradigm shift, a different way to live and worship, but it's one that Mary had made. We began our story a few minutes ago with the story of Mary's beginning. I want to take the next 60 seconds and tell you about Mary's ending. We don't know exactly how Mary died. There's some controversy about the end of her life, but it's pretty well, it's generally accepted that she lived about 11 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Most believe she lived with John in Ephesus. If you remember in John 19, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus looked down at Mary and he said, looked down at John and said, John, behold your mother. Take care of your new mother. Take care of Mary. So wherever Mary lived, wherever Mary died, we do get a picture of her throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts that she found great satisfaction in God her Savior. And at Luke chapter 2, when she took baby Jesus to be dedicated in the temple, uh, Simeon told her that one day a sword was going to pierce her soul, that her son was going to die for the nation and for the world. We find that throughout Jesus' ministry, Mary was there and heard him preach about dying on the cross for people's sins, about dying and giving his life for the world. We know that Mary was there when Jesus was crucified. You can picture as, as Mary stayed the whole time, the gospels say. And she's watching this, her baby boy be nailed to this cross and for hours suffer the torture and agony and the ridicule 
Maybe she's thinking about the lunches she packed, and she's thinking about the diapers she changed, and she's thinking about the songs she sang with him on her knee. But she knows he's the Savior, and only he can satisfy. The last picture we have of Mary is in Acts 1.14, and more than likely she's on her knees, and she's praying. To whom? She's praying to Jesus because she learned 30 years prior only he can satisfy. This Christmas, God sees you. God strengthens you. God saves you if you'll believe, and God satisfies. Let worship erase your worry because Jesus and only Jesus can. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for brothers and sisters to get to do Christmas with. Thank you for the lights and for the decorations, for the events, tonight's night of worship, and all that we'll do together through the month of December. Help us to walk this month with greater humility. For those in the room who think that you've forgotten about them, I pray this morning you would remind them through the words of Mary that you see them. God, there's some people going through some deep trials, and this week they've got to make some heavy decisions. I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray they would do what you want them to do, and they'd do it with boldness. God, I pray for those in our church who aren't yet saved don't yet know you as their Savior. I pray that this season, today, even today, they would believe on you and find eternal salvation. But for those that need saved from their habits and their hang-ups and their hopelessness, God, that you would save us too. Continually change us into the image of Christ. And God, would you bring satisfaction to our souls? The commercials the announcements, the news, the Facebook ads. They're screaming at us, telling us we need more to be happy. Would you satisfy our souls? And anything we do for ourselves and others, may we do it because, not because we have to, because we want to. And we can point to your generosity. Thank you, God, for this beautiful woman and the beautiful story. Help worship erase our worry. In Jesus' name, amen.